House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren and Mr. Martino is playing soccer in... Soccer? Uh, you got to do something different. Yeah. I was thinking. Different? I was thinking about you. Yeah. Like, what kind Who of are exercise you? are you getting? I mean, you're doing that karate stuff, but come on. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm working hard, Al. You're working hard on the cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. You, I get to fuel up. You get to fuel up, so you. Yeah. You, um, you know, it's funny because I, I met Ed Cleves, you know, the writer there in Seattle, yeah, yeah. and we were down in the marketplace in Seattle, and we were talking, and as we we're walking down the main thing, you know, it's crowded with people. And um, there was this guy in the middle of the sidewalk. Think of mm-hmm. a thousand people walking up and down the road, going to the market and restaurants. A yep. guy in the middle of it all doing exactly what you do, showing his karate moves. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, hey, we should actually film this and send it to Dave. You should have. <laughs> and say, look, we found Dave in Seattle. I'm going to Seattle. Yeah, he was exactly like you, but he had a shirt off. <laughs> but, you know. nobody wants to see that well no but he's no. you know he's he was younger too and yeah. uh skinnier but <laughs> but you know but i i he wasn't i don't think he was as good just so you know i don't think well, i'm sure he wasn't i mean i don't think he was as good and i he never kept thought talking. of becoming a martial art busker yeah think about it yeah. stand in the middle of the road put your hat down there and yeah. what what have you got to lose nothing i don't think the cops will arrest you they they, especially, <laughs> especially in that area, there's they see much worse. Come on, you know that's that's mild. That's okay. Any record that I get in Seattle won't transfer here. So yeah, they can't extradite you. So no. as long as it's not murder, <laughs> so you guys can have a battle, battle of the yeah ninja nerds, <laughs> ninja battle. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of battles, now we've got <laughs> we've got someone uh, that's a writer that's been doing some interesting books here, a mystery mm-hmm. kind of thing. We'll find out more about it. So let's uh, bring her in and talk about her new book called How to Kill a Kingpin. And this is uh, Gabrielle St. George. Thank you for being here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be aboard. Well... We'll see it at the end of the show how happy we are here. I'm happy know. at the moment. Happy at the moment. Relaxed. <laughs> well, you seem like such a nice, nice, nice lady. So how do you get into writing um, crime and mystery and suspense, thriller sort of thing like that? It's, it's, it's this sort of something you've known you were going to do all your life, or is this something that just happened after you killed maybe your second or third partner? <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I only seem like a nice lady. That is true. Quite possible. Um, and no, I've always been, I'm a Scorpio rising, Alan. Okay. I've always been, um, attracted to mystery and darker things and also terrified of them for sure. But, um, I was a screenwriter. I, uh, I was in film and university and, and that's what I first did for a living and worked on police shows and stuff like that. So that was just my background, but I have always loved that. Started out with Nancy Drew, of course. I think I've heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't well, you know, but when you do this sort of thing, like when you're when before you put your first book out, the very first book you're writing, um, was there a particular event or thing that happened to you or something that you came across that made you want to actually write and publish a book? Yes, that would be a divorce and the quest for revenge. Okay. Was that the first partner that you killed or the second? <laughs> I, I just, you know, get that in line here. No, I mean, but so, so the, what is it? The, um, anger and emotions that are related with a separation kind of led you to do this? Um, Maybe a little more extreme. We could throw around words like stalking and things like that. Um, So, yeah, there was definitely a danger element for quite some time in my world. But my books are funny. 
so they're humorous mysteries and I've always um, loved mystery like I said and thrillers but I um, I've always written funny and I actually feel like that's a high calling I feel like if someone can write or act funny one should I think one of the toughest jobs in the world has got to be like a stand-up comedian but I do think it's a high calling I, I I've always been an entertainer I would say even as a child and it can be a survival mechanism too for sure um, even I have four kids I had four kids in five years so they're all little and um, loads of fun but so many days I thought so many times on so many days I think wow I can either laugh or I can cry and I just always choose to laugh well do you feel that you need um, maybe just like a stand-up comedian do you feel in in writing prose fiction and making it humorous that you need I guess a, a, a sense of comedic timing is there like a timing that that needs to be I guess employed to uh, make the, the the novel funny I mean, I'm totally aware of the necessity of that, that the need for that in the structure and, you know, in every beat of every scene. But I don't know if it's a higher, like a higher force coming down. I don't really have to try. I don't really have to think about that. It just all comes pretty naturally, which I guess is just a blessing. Um, I don't really have to consider that. But at the same time that I was saying that I, I feel like I am basically an entertainer, but I'm I'm really good with that. At the same time, I'm this like extreme introvert. Um, and I think like some actors and I know a lot of writers are obviously, but it's a it's a real dichotomy because I'm an entertainer. I'm, you know, whether I'm with my kids or at, at, at a party, which I don't go to more than I have to, but um I still will need that time to recuperate. But then when I'm out there, you know, I'm the life of the party. So it's just a natural thing. Just, I think it's kind of weird. It is a weirdness. I'm weird. An extroverted introvert. Yeah. Mm, yeah. My kids call me a high functioning <laughs> introvert. Yeah. I think that's about that, right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, well, you know, myself, I have the same issue, and I found over 60 years, I've learned it's about having the controlled setting. So, like, the book can be a controlled setting, or it could be, like, the radio show. It could be, and I can be as wild as I can be, but um, it's got to be in the right location and the right venue, so to speak, right right kind of medium. Um, so it's getting to be aware of where... I'm at and what I'm doing. Um, but so I understand what you're saying, but I wonder if, um, do you ever worry about kind of crossing the PC correctness now with, with writing and, and in some cases maybe being humorous about something that's maybe not funny to others. Do you ever think about that or not? I'm super aware of that. And it's the very last thing I want to do. Um, so hi, and I mean, just in my daily life or just online, I have a, I, you know, I don't exactly love social media. I, I do what I need to do on there or I probably don't do what I need. I do. I should do way more than I do on there. But I, one of the things I hate about it is the, the cruelty and the, you know, the offensiveness to marginalized groups in particular, but I, also have I always um, use a, an editor myself before I send my book to my publisher and she does a sensitivity read for me and what I found I haven't ever had the issue of something has been not politically correct but words have been words have been and I don't want to do that so she is really great and will point out words like um, say the word lame you know yeah. Your character says, wow, that, that's really lame. Well, this is offensive to disabled people. They don't want us to use that word, so I'm not using it. Or even like um, now, say, fat phobic words, you know, that will offend people. And it, it's, I'm glad, I want to I keep 
getting smarter. I want to keep being made more aware of things that, you know, I don't find up, uh, stumble upon on my own. Also, because my book, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, well, crazy people, but then the sensitivity reader will give me like, don't use the word crazy. Don't use whack job. Don't use loony. Don't use. And it's like, what can I say? And she'll say, like, bananas? Don't use bananas. Like, shit. Oh, so, it, so that after a while, I actually like lost like 80% of the words that she was saying. And then I left a few crazies in. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's all that. But I, I don't want to be that person who definitely knowingly or unknowingly offends anyone. That's not my jam at all. Yeah, I agree. I kind of I, – I, I'm trying to be aware as well, but I'm also from um, – I'm Gen X, so I do have a generational thing. So um, I'm not quite sure of the anger behind some of it. Like some of it is just like you say – let's say you said the word lame. It wouldn't even cross my mind because that's just how we talked until someone brings it to my attention. You know what I'm saying? But there's a lot of anger uh, that comes at you on social media and you're not even aware of it until it happens just for being you, who you, you are. You mean if you've offended someone? Yeah. Like it, it, yeah. If sometimes you can just sort of, you can be talking and with someone and go, yeah, that was pretty lame. For instance, let's say you say that. Mm. That was just something we said in the eighties. That was just not really a big deal. But, um, it's good to know, though, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it. the word it. colored folk, right? And that yeah. used to be used, but it's not okay. And we all figured that out. And we can figure out the terms that um, disabled people, you know, want us to use and not use. And like I yeah. said, I just, it's good for the brain. Just bring it, you know, yeah, tell me yeah. and I'll do my best always. Yeah, exactly. I think I have the same attitude. I think that once I know, I'll try to do the best. It's not like I'm someone's going to correct me, and then I keep saying it. You know, I'll I'll be aware of it. But um, you know, sometimes it's it's weird because we do deal with people at different ages, and baby boomers are even more um, select in their choice of words. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, boomer. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you do what you can. Um, so now, now this is part of a series, I believe, right? Um, this this book um, is this book two of a series. This is book two. So book one came out last November twenty one, and that was called "How to Murder a Marriage." And book two coming out in a couple weeks is "How to Kill a Kingpin," and then next year, "How to Bury a Billionaire." Wow! Which I'm looking forward to skewering very rich people because it's the only group I'm actually prejudiced against. I have yeah. to say. Yeah. Well, you know, and personal experience, very, very close personal experience. The super rich. Uh, no, don't like I, them. I agree. I am um, in a certain to a certain extent when someone comes from money and they're born into money and they have money. I'm not really interested in them. And I'm certainly not interested in them being a politician, for instance, because right. they can't relate to 90 percent of the people. They don't know what it's like to wake up and 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 survive the world so it's not really someone i i'm interested in um i agree totally but you know when you do these series do you have this kind of outlined in your head do you kind of you kind of seem to know what one book two and book three is even going to be and where it's at so it's this kind of all mapped out in your brain somewhere and then you're just filling in the details as you go I'm actually a title person, and I, I oh. come up with the title first, which is bizarre. But uh, also, they're really character-driven. And the the first book is, it's pretty autobiographical, quasi, let's say quasi-autobiographical, keep me out of court. Um, and the main character is a lot like me, but she's a lot better than me. She's smarter and funnier and braver and a, a little bit more of everything than me. Um but, and the first book takes place and the second book takes place like the next week. So, so far I'm not, you know, going over a lot of time, but as my background as a screenwriter is outline, 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 and that's what I'm comfortable with. And I did outline the first book and then it was an incredible experience for me when the characters just took over and I was just literally the stenographer and it was really cool really fascinating and so the same thing happened with book two so i'm kind of hoping it happens with book three because right now i only know the bones of the story and i have to start that yesterday 
<laughs> well, with, with going from uh, screenwriting uh, to prose, how, how did you find that? Uh, did you have difficulty transferring over, or did you just find that it was natural to um, write in, in, in a longer prose form? No, it was really painful, terrible, awful. <laughs> Hated it. Um, I love, I have a super short attention span, and I love short, I love short books. I don't pick up, pick up really long books. I, I can't watch really long movies. I love short things. And uh, writing like 85,000 words was excruciating for me. A good exercise. But the thing that I loved about, the thing I loved most about writing books, and that's what I'm, I just, it was so great, was, you know, in screenwriting, nothing can be on the page if it's not on the screen. So you don't go inside people's heads. We don't get to know anyone's thoughts. You know, it's how what they say and what they do. If, it, if it's not on the screen, it's not on the page. And being able to be inside a character's head and express their thoughts was, there's so much freedom in that for me. Really liberating. I, that's the part I like best. So I write in first person because then I get to do it nonstop. Well, uh, along the same line, do you have, uh, when, you, when you're creating these characters, do you have an inner monologue in your head? Can you hear the characters? You know, I'm just trying to find out if you're hearing voices, actually. But. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> yeah. Um, that's, or is it more I visual? Mean, that, uh, well, a lot of people, a lot of reviewers have said that my book kind of reads like a script or they can see it as a TV series. And there is a, we are negotiating with a, production company in LA right now um and I, th I think that part just came natural I didn't try for that but I do I my favorite part of writing the book is the dialogue I'm I'm good at dialogue and it's that's a natural thing for me it's the easiest thing so that's probably why I like it the best um I, I don't write really long description um I don't like reading really long description but yeah I just the dialogue you know they just they get in the room, the characters get in the room and they just start talking to each other. And again, I, I'm a very fast writer and sometimes it's just like I'm writing as fast as I can type. Wow. Well, you know, and I want to come back to a, a part here when you said the main character and you talk about her as being so much more than you and all that. So what is your relationship with that main character? And is this something, is this really something you want to be? Is this something you fantasize about being this character or is this someone completely out of the blue? Hmm. No, I mean, we have a lot in common, like I said. She's actually a relationship advice, uh, like self-help book author. That's her job. And, you know, has like a blog and podcast and all these kinds of things that um, giving, you know, she's like a modern day Miss Lonely Hearts. So... In the, in the book, I had her move to, not joking, a little cabin on the shores of Lake Huron in this little town that I had been to. And she was just, you know, she had a bad divorce, an ex who was stalking her, and four kids who live overseas. So she was really copying me. Um, and then table flipped and I started copying her. I had no intention of leaving the Toronto area to move to a little cabin on the shores of Lake Huron. But here I am um, after I wrote the book and just like a cabin, just like the one I described. So I say life imitating art, imitating life. It's kind of what this book is about. One thing I did do, I thought it was just be kind of fun. Um, she writes these self-help books on relationship advice and dating and stuff. And so I actually wrote three of them. They're published by the same publisher who did the book, How to Murder Marriage. And so the books are written by her. Uh, she's called The Ex Whisperer. That's her handle. So the books are written by The Ex Whisperer, just ghostwritten by me. And they're nonfiction guides to like um, how to know if he's having an affair. And another one is how to say so long to Mr. Wrong and things like that. And one on narcissism. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a curious thing then. Um, where do you get your characters from? Like, where do you think they come from? Are they from people you know, um, people people you've been around, maybe those you've experienced or seen? Or where does it come from for you? Yeah, definitely from people I know. Some characters are amalgamations of, you know, 
a few people put together because, you know, some people are not that interesting. There's just things about them that are interesting. I got to combine them with others, but definitely people I know. And I really do ascribe to that um, philosophy that um, should have been nicer to me if you didn't want me to write about you like that. Well, have, have, have any of your characters done anything to surprise you? Have they kind of gone off the rails and, and kind of, uh, you know, taken over the plot and decided to go in a different direction? Yeah. Do you know her ex-husband, Gina, her name is the main character, her ex-husband in the first book who is kind of scary or I think is scary. I think people thought there was a lot of kind of thriller elements to the book. Um, and she really did hate him. And in book two, I was really surprised when he was hanging around and he was less threatening and became a bit of the comic relief. And he's in the books now. He's there. And again, life imitating art, imitating life. My ex-husband and I are on speaking terms, which I wouldn't have predicted a few years ago. Um, so since she's talking to her ex, I'm talking to my ex now, you know, just me and Gina copying <laughs> each other in life. <laughs> well, do you, you know, at the end of the day, if someone picks up this book, uh, or first of all, they don't have to read each one. Like you don't have to read the first one to just pick up number two here to you. I'm going to say no. That's actually an interesting question that I haven't thought about. I think I'm so close to them right now that. I'm not sure. I, I You could definitely pick up book two, yeah, and and hop in, for sure. Yeah, you yeah. could. And so, so when you when you do that, so um, is there is there a purpose that you want, or some sort of um, subtext? Is there something that you want the reader to take away from the book besides the actual entertainment or story and and things going on? Uh, you know, I think there is. I. I wrote an article in the winter for Crime Reads on the soft-boiled mysteries and how important they are and how it's such a neglected uh, subgenre of crime fiction. And when I was first shopping my book around, one editor said, um, you know, what's, what is it? What is, what is that thing? And you soft boiled. She hadn't heard of it. And another one said, you know, it's not real. Drop it. And I just disagree with that so strongly. I've had a few people read this book um, and leave negative reviews saying it didn't know what it was. Was it a cozy? Was it a thriller? Was it funny? But the vast majority of people appreciated that it was um, a little bit genre blending which i personally find more interesting i'd rather read those books and it's more interesting for me to write but the it's it's a cozy it's a cozy with an edge is how i would describe soft boiled and i think it's a genre that needs to come back because uh or be revived or be revered and i think that a lot of publishing houses are are um missing something important because in cozy novels, which I love, I love them all. Uh, I particularly love hard-boiled crime fiction. But for women like me, women over 50, um, it's hard to recognize ourselves. It's hard to see ourselves in a cozy. That doesn't mean we don't like reading them, you know, getting, getting you know, your teapot on and your fuzzy socks and uh, sitting by the fire and reading cozy. It's awesome. But... You're not going to see yourself reflected there. The, me and my friends are vibrant women who are in and out of relationships. You know, some of us have relationships, some don't. Some are retiring early. Some have some are, have fabulous careers. Some are changing careers. Some are going back to school. Uh, a lot of them drink, smoke, have sex, all kinds of things. They're online dating, all kinds of great things. And there's all kinds of tough things as we all know that come with being middle-aged you know your parents are sick and dying your friends are sick and dying your kids have left the home um divorce all these kinds of things so we want to read about these things we also want to be distracted from those things and in hard-boiled fiction we're not really represented properly not middle-aged women um you know it's mostly tough guy pis again i love the genre 
I love it. But, or, you know, sometimes like say uh, Sue Grafton, this kind of thing, the women have to be younger just because of sheer physicality of what they do as, you know, private eyes or even in police procedurals kind of thing. They're going to age out at 40 basically. Right. Right. Um, So I just think that I want that revived. I want cozy with an edge. I want to be, I want to read those books that are about characters like me, but the main thing would be middle-aged females. And, you know, as a demographic, we're a marketer's dream. We've got more money than males in our age bracket. We've got time. We read books. We watch movies. We spend a lot of money. And we're completely ignored in the marketing world, completely ignored as a demographic. And it's just dumb. Yeah. So right now, as I said, there's a production company we're negotiating um, for either three movies or like three like streaming movies, like television movies, or perhaps a TV series based on my book series. And the big, the big obstacle is her age. In the first book, she turns 50. And they've been going around, the production company's been going to different streamers and, and networks. And they are saying that the top age is 36. They won't. So if I want to go ahead with this, I have to make her no older than 36. And it feels like such a big selling out to me. And I, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I, I just don't know if I re- want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it would normally that it changes the uh, persona, right? It changes the person at 30, 35 or 36. You're a different woman than you are at 50. Yeah. I mean, and they still wanted to have kids who have grown up and moved away like this character does. So it's okay. Well, she was either like a child bride and then we said, okay, she got like <laughs> pregnant at 21 and they've just left for uni. They're 18. Like, you know, that's what we had to do. But um, it's just, it's, it's not only unfortunate, it just seems unintelligent to me. There's yeah. this demographic with, we we want to see ourselves reflected in various forms of media. We're willing to pay for it more than other demographics are willing to pay. And uh, it's not available. Just, it, it doesn't exist. Well, you know, new women have been getting a little bit too aggressive lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, burn right? the burn, first thing they do is burn the bra. And now what? Now they want to have right? Jeez, Now right. we're growing our silver hair out. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, you know, come on. We can see that. What are you doing? Um, I, know, I know. Well, I, I think I think it's a I think what it is, is it's a slow change. I think like anything, we we can all be aware of this now, but it won't really catch on in society for another generation or more. Do you know, what? It, it, it seems it, to take time and it seems to be forever. Um, but the only thing I would say that might have a you know might might make that less true is the pandemic you know when like everyone was changed obviously and there were negative things and there were a lot of good things that came out of it right people reevaluating work-life balance and all kinds of things but there's a massive i mean i don't know if you guys are on instagram and if you are you may not uh follow the hashtag silver sisters there's all kinds of there's all kinds of them but uh, these hashtags but it's like when the hair salons were closed for for middle-aged women one of the big things that happened in the pandemic was we couldn't get our hair done and so there were gray roots and everyone was horrified and shocked and wearing hats and then something happened and it was an online movement and it's still, and I'm telling you, it's huge. We are talking tens of millions of women involved. Like you, it's, it's fascinating and it's fabulous. And they're so, it's such a supportive female community, but they just grew their hair out. They grew their silver hair out and they just have these silver crowns and they are rocking them and all ages. I mean, there's some 30 year old, there's women in their twenties with, with gray hair, but, and you know, you're always going to look great. If you're in your 20s or 30s, your skin's great. But um, the women in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and they've got gray hair, don't care. And they're just, and they take so much uh, vitriol against them on social media. Again, like people seem like, like personally offended 
uh, just by maybe older women. I don't know, but they're just doing it. And so anyway, that the answer to the question, what I would like people to take away is that middle age is not an ending. It's the beginning of so many great things and it can be the best time ever and lots of new beginnings. And the character in the book, the first book, she sells her you know, dream home that she raised her family in and she leaves the town she spent her life in and she just like starts a whole new life. And I think that is an exciting thing. And I think I'd like women reading the book, particularly women reading the book, uh, it's mostly geared to women, I would say. Um, to be, but oh, I was going to say one thing that I found fascinating is that I thought my book would mostly appeal to, say, women over forty, and the whole bookstagrammer community, which the vast majority of bookstagrammers are younger women, thirties for sure, twenties yeah. and thirties. Oh yeah. And they embrace the book like crazy, and I thought, wow, like how are they relating to this fifty-year-old character? But they did. They loved her. They loved it. They want more. And I was really, really surprised by that and obviously pleased. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to put a stop to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, this is a It's a tsunami. Out. It's a silver yeah. tsunami. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would join the Silver Sisters, but I, I don't really have any hair. So <laughs> my hairdresser hates this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. She's not getting as much uh, clientele. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, have much here either. But. Yeah. You, well, yeah. Well, you could you could take this woman and make her 30, 35, and she could have been from a child slave labor and been forced into prostitution or something. Have the kids, you mean? Yeah. 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 The only reason I would do that then is like make her, agree to make her 35, I guess, is so I can cry all the way to the bank. But yeah. as far as just, you know, being proud of the product or you know carrying out my goal here i i wouldn't want to back down on that and i said i'll do i'll she doesn't have to have that job i can change so many things but if we please keep her 50 uh or even in the 40s like it's a big i know nope wow uh, i i didn't realize that but it, you know i guess uh these uh movie companies and television companies are the same as the book companies. You know, they still have issues with um, what they consider to be minority and something that they don't think they can sell. It's weird, you know? Um, yeah, but look at this stuff even, you know, with uh, queer authors and obviously all marginalized groups, you know, that some of the biggest books these this year, this past year, you know, Sean Cosby and all these like fabulous writers of color and, it's, 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 still, it's still a struggle, you know. It, you yeah. can't name too many big, the big five mm -hmm. publishers that actually publish gay authors. I mean, you, can you even name no. one? Uh, they always have to go through alternative routes to get out, and then it's a lot of work. Cosby had to go to the, uh, you know, and he was going to all the crime writing events and handing out books and doing stuff. He, it was a lot of work. And he's older. He's not like a 20-year-old kid. There's still a lot of struggle um absolutely it's, yeah. it's not it's not it's not well like i think it's well accepted and and they're forcing people to to, to realize that it is like big companies and you're going to see a response from these big big publishers all of a sudden getting their their cosby type thing you know and it's kind of it's sad but it's, it's just, awful yeah you know, and they're always just behind they're, yeah. they're they're just they're just like that part of the publishing world so many so many aspects of the publishing world, as we all know, it's just, they're dinosaurs. Yeah. It just, it doesn't make sense. And I, I, I don't think I have the, the desire that the wherewithal to like self publish. It just seems like so much work, but I admire the people who do and the people who are doing great self publishing. It's like, yes, yeah, that's amazing. No, it's a lot of work. It's, I don't, you know, I went through the publishing route and I still have, with three different publishers, but at the same time, I also self-publish. And it is a lot of work. But you know what you do is you meet a lot of people in your publishing journey. Like I've met some great cover designers. I've met some great editors and line editors and all sorts of stuff. And I can work with them on my own just as well as with the publishers. You know what I mean? You make connections. And yeah, so you, for can, sure. you can put together a pretty good team and get something out that's 
equally as good as what the publisher's doing. But it doesn't it, seem like the writers of the big five, the vast majority are not getting huge amounts of support. I was just talking to one writer at a conference uh, a couple months ago and uh, St. Martin's, I think. Yeah. I don't know if we're supposed to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was just saying that um, there's just, they have a huge budget for marketing and basically you might have to cut this out. Basically, a hundred percent of the budget goes to promoting Louise Penny. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just it's that, right? So maybe you're with a big five publisher, but yeah, maybe if you can pull it off, self-publishing is yeah, no, better in a lot of ways. What the publishers all they guarantee you is at the bookstore, um, because they're mm. they're kind of separating themselves now. You're going to have the publishers and ingram sparks kind of going through bookstores and all the channels to distribute you and then it's going to be amazon so they've kind of drawn a line now so if you're self-publishing and you just go through amazon and you go to something like ingram to try to do it you're really kind of ignored so you don't get the status so like you know you know you mean they don't if you're on amazon like Ingram doesn't want you on amazon oh yeah and bookstores are are not going to buy off of amazon they're kind of separating themselves Ingram's not distributing books that are self-published in Amazon. Like there's kind of a war going on internally. So does it's gonna... anyone think that Amazon could lose any war? Well, I think <laughs> there. It's like anything, but everything that is a day-to-day thing that we expect and we do every day, all of a sudden disappears. It's it, you can't mm-hmm. name anything. You know, um, from newspapers to television to movie theaters, all of these things we've, I hopefully, people have learned that are they're, it's very replaceable, and Amazon's mm-hmm. no different. I mean, it's just it's kind of the day, but the next generation might not take to it; they might take to something else. You just don't know what is, the changes are. So Amazon shouldn't be too too comfortable with this. But what happens True. is, you know, I go through a publisher. Those books are put in, I can go into any bookstore and they're there. And I can go to um, do a book signing and there's not a problem. Um, if, if you don't go through that kind of channel, all of a sudden you're going through Amazon, bookstores aren't probably going to carry you. They're certainly not going to buy you. And they're not going to let you do a book signing that you don't pay for. <laughs> so they're kind yeah. of starting to draw this line of either you are or you aren't. Because that's the only way they could fight back to Amazon, to be honest. Um, Even the whole, um, you know, like all my kids, they'll they always try to buy from anything other than Amazon, including yeah. books, and and I, even the just the indie bookstores. So many authors too will say, you know, if you can buy it from your indie bookstore, please do. Yeah. So that that's still yeah an undercurrent for sure. Yeah, and that's a good thing. That's it is. a good thing because. With any any business or any product, you don't want just one person or one group being the distributor and maker of it. You know, it it always leads to issues and corruption. So I, I of course say, I would say no. Um, so I like doing both, but I I get you know it's funny because even when I go to do a book signing, uh, a lot of the bookstores, the ones that were self published, they won't let me sign for. <laughs> the the ones but yeah. you you don't put your books on Amazon then you're saying yeah some I do and some I don't or some oh. I do different versions for I've learned the hard way that okay. if I'm self publishing publishing I need to do a different version for Amazon and then I do for the bookstores otherwise when I go to do the book signing I can only have the ones that they distribute on the table to sign for so ones that you've just distributed through Amazon they're like no sorry we you can't do those. It's, 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 it's a learning business, but I, and I can see where it's going. Um, they're, they're kind of got their, their claws in and that's their response to Amazon. And, and it will be successful to a little bit of, a little degree. It will. Um, because it'll become complicated for self publishers, you know. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I really do admire it though. It's, it's so much work, but, um, I think that people like yourself and so many others who are, who are rocking self-publishing or just, oh, I just, more power to I, I you. I think so, and I think it's opening the door for the next, each generation because now it's become a norm. It's not unusual for someone to come up and kind of go, well, I'll self-publish, and to think about it and try to do it, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, forget it. 
It was just the whole vanity thing, too. You're only yeah. self-publishing because no one else wants you. Right, it's right. Not You're paying for it, and it's done, and it's like, well. Mm. And there is that. But the, the the idea that you can actually put something out and distribute it and actually sell thousands of copies is pretty cool. And I think that that will catch on with the younger people coming up in this in this world of writing and art and kind of go, yeah, why can't I? Because in a way, if you compare it to to live bands, you know, the old couple of people get together and start to perform their own music, and they have to kind of get out there and sell themselves through different bars and clubs and stuff, and to get the deal. And they would make their own EP or their own single and pay for it and put it out there and try to... It's the same sort of thing. It gives you that extra um, chance to to make it. True, true. And you make instead of making a buck a book, you make your whole sixteen bucks a book. Yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's so it's cool. I think it's a mm. good thing. Uh, you know, and, and we'll get over this. I think right now it's kind of over inundated. You know, like there's too many things being published, so the competition is extreme. You know, they're putting mm-hmm. out so many books every day. You know, who who do you who do you um, like so when you're doing like your day, like what's your process? Do you are you the type of person that can just sort of go, well, the next five days nobody bug me. I'm turning my phone off. I'm nine to five. I'm writing and doing whatever. Or do you have to wait till the mood hits you? All of a sudden you go, oh, this is it. You're in the middle of a supermarket, and you got this idea, and so you run out without paying for your stuff, and you get home. <laughs> And, Do I take uh, my stuff with me, though? Yeah, of course, of okay. course, because they know that's that famous Arthur. Yeah. So we won't touch her. And <laughs> so you get, so you go home, and then you also you just can write it out. Like, what, which kind of scenario do you fall into? Yeah, I very, very sadly have to wait. Mostly have to wait until the gun is cocked at my temple, and it's basically impossible for me to write this many words in this many weeks or months, and then I start. Um, it's a torturous way to go through life. So I, but I feel like I'll go months without writing, but I am thinking about writing and I'm writing stories in my head and I'm creating characters and I'm hearing dialogue and I make notes, you know, just constantly make little notes. And then when I start writing, I do write really fast, but I'll do like 15 hour days and, and curse like crazy after 8 p.m. when I'm cross-eyed with exhaustion, but still have to keep going. And I I don't hand stuff in late. I get it done. I wish so much I was like a 2,000 words a day person and then went for a nice <laughs> walk and everything. But it's just it's never happened, so I'm kind of giving up the hope. But, yeah, I, I'm a uh, – everything is flipping extreme with me, I tell you. Yeah. Well, I don't think – I don't think it's – I don't – those ones that say that they can just sit and write and they, they're in a nice grass field and a – farm somewhere and everything's perfect and i don't believe them (laughs) yeah i really admire the people who are like right on the bus on their way to work and you know stephen king being a little laundry room and things like that but um yeah i need quiet i can't like write in a cafe or anything but i just like and me finding quiet now that my kids are gone is like super easy i'm out in the middle of nowhere um but still i'll still like stare out the window for three hours until I'm like out of time and then I'll start typing. So are you like that, you know, Kathy Bates and that misery you're out there in this. Oh God. I love and, that. And movie. some, some guy's going to drive in a Mustang and you're going to like uh, smash his ankles and have him tied up. And, like, you're, ah, so I left that part out of my book about what I did to my ex. But oh. yeah. Um... This is the uh, unscripted. This is the part mm-hmm. that, you know, people have to pay for. You see, you get a website yeah. now and charge nine ninety five for the un, the stuff that's not in the book. And that's what you cutting room floor yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I'm really scared of Kathy Bates. And, and I see people like Kathy Bates in the woods all the time. They're not there, but I see them. Oh. <laughs> wow. So are, are you seeing people in the woods now? So are you and you always, and, and you're hearing voices and that. So do you do you find mm-hmm. that you wake up in the middle of the night and there's like muddy shoes by the bed and there's a shovel or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> my life. My kids are scared of everything. I just like we just did scary things and told scary stories by candlelight and scared each other all the time. Um, but I am a really big scaredy cat. I can't even, I have so many good ideas. I could never like write a horror. Um, 
And I did a podcast with a guy who does, um, at the end of his podcast, he does like, he reads a random sentence from a book and then I say a sentence, he says a sentence, I say a sentence, he says a sentence, and you um, build a story for like a few minutes. And he and the end of our story, which was really, really good. And at the end of the story, he said, wow, that was, we were supposed to do a mystery. That was a horror. I'm like, was it? And I, that's just where my mind goes, I think. But yeah. I scare, scare the bejeebers out of myself, basically, every day. Wow. Wow. So it's a good thing you're out there on your own. So, um, so what do you do now for uh, social media and for, for, for hookups? Like, have you got like, uh, I know, have you got like a website? For hookups, Tinder. No, I was going to say, yeah, Tinder, right? Like, whatever. You can, but what information do you want listeners to have about you? Do you want to give out your website, social media, apps, phone number, address? Like, what's, what's kind of, what are you hoping for with readers? I'll definitely give my phone number because I like to scare myself. No. Um, <laughs> So I, my website is my name, GabrielleStGeorge.com, and I'm most active, pretty much just active on Instagram and Facebook and not as active as I should be. And I have a Twitter account, and this is how non-active I am on social media, unfortunately, but um, I will get my SHIT together soon, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, I also start writing a 1,000 words a day, every day, three extra days a year soon, maybe, but both are likely, unlikely. But I got a call a month ago, no, an email from, I mean, the CBC and yeah. all these different news outlets and even like Der Spiegel in Germany. And they're like, oh my God, can we interview you? Like you just went viral on Twitter. I'm like, what? I don't even go on Twitter. And I went viral on Twitter. I opened my computer and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails and messages and everything. So 30 years ago, I wrote this, um, I created, wrote and produced this animated Christmas special. And I didn't know it's been ongoing for six years. This is how out of it I am that it was like the Twitter mystery. I mean, the New Yorker did a piece on it last month, CNN, I mean, Newsweek, just nuts. Anyway, they, there was this mystery. They're trying to figure out what, what show this was. And it turned out someone cracked the mystery and it was my show. Wow. And then I was inundated and they're like, like, where have you been? This is going on for a few years. I'm like, you're on Twitter. I'm like, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. So that's how bad I am with social media, but I'm, I'm optimistic that that will change. Yeah. Because you're never going to get a date if you don't go on. Right. But yeah, the whole Twitter thing, I think now there's, there was, I think it was that 14 million engagement on the thing. It's just like it went viral. It was crazy. And I didn't know. So wow. there you go. That's when you go on and you start showing skin and, and doing the Kim Kardashian <laughs> and all that. And, right. Yeah. You know, and starting getting, you know, collecting money here. Like, Almost broke doing? the internet. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get in there. No, it's, I think it's a good thing um, to interact. It seems to be the way of, you know, today. It's the times. Um, do you, so do you ever kind of get into people that review your stuff or do you follow that? Or do you look at that? Do you care? Yeah, I care. I do care. Um, I do care. And there's, yeah, I think overall the, the first book has four, it has four stars, like whether it's NetGalley or Amazon and all kind of thing, four stars and it shouldn't have five stars. It's right. not the great American novel. It's not you know, the best novel I've written or a work of art. It's not, but it's good. And four stars I'm super pleased with. I wouldn't give anything five stars. Like I would give some things five stars. Alice Hoffman gets five stars. Um, but I do care. And then some of them are like nast. Some of the reviews. And I just hate, I'm like, why, why do that? Like, why try to hurt someone or harm someone? Like, don't say anything. Just go away. It's like the big, like, DNF. I got two of them. DNF. Not yeah. my cup of tea. And then someone, this big, horrible thing about not my cup of tea and didn't like it. And then at the end, they put, maybe I was just in a bad mood that day. Maybe I'll give another try. I'm like, don't post. Why'd you post this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, some people, I think they're just having, it's, it's, their, it's themselves that they're expressing, not necessarily what they're reading or writing about. So, you know, it's their own issue. They're having that kind of a day. 
Um, and I always, I, you know, I used to hunt them down and have them killed, but <laughs> I, I don't anymore. But, yeah, I used to. I'm serious. You, you'll never. I, I'm completely aware that not, no book is everyone's cup of tea. Like, no. I, I, Alice Hoffman is my favorite writer of all time. And there's people who don't like her, and I don't understand. I just don't get it at all. But it's okay. You know, yeah. you, can, you never can please everybody. And the vast majority of reviews were just heartwarming and lovely and, you know, yeah. really made yeah. me happy. I wish I didn't care, but I do care. Yeah, I don't so much anymore. I go back and, you know, you've got, you know, when you go to these Goodreads and stuff and you can see your name and your books, and then you can say the overall rating is 3.8 or 4 or something. That's great. Fantastic. Good enough. That's mm -hmm. all I need to know. I don't care. Because I think yeah. I'm a two. Uh, <laughs> so this is a good thing. Wow, three point yeah. So this is great. I write a two, they give me a four. Hey, you know? Yeah, yeah it's that constant, the whole imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. I've been writing for a long time, but they're going to figure out that I really can't string a sentence together. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to fall. Yeah, no. I just admit it. When they tell me I'm bad, I say they're absolutely right. You can't write. No, I can't. <laughs> just, I get that. You know, do the Andy Warhol thing, you know. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. It's been lovely. Um, it's always good talking to a Canadian because they're so nice. Aw. You know. Yeah, this was fun, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited on. It was really good. Thank you. Well, good. Now, so, of course, we'll have your book and your website up on ours so people can find you with one click when they're listening. They can just go click. And they Super. can and send in their bad review and say how bad they yes. are. Yes. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. So uh, How to Kill a Kingpin, you know? This yeah. Second book, The X Whisperer Files, number two. And that's, that's uh, Gabriel St. George, the Canadian. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Alan and Dave. Really, really appreciate the time. It was a good time. Thanks, Gabrielle. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.